Uh, welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. If you're a guest, uh, we are glad that you're here, that you've carved out some time today to be with us. Uh, I think you'll know quickly that we're a simple church. We are about Jesus. And uh, even during Christmas season and every other day, we're going to just be about Jesus. And today is, is no different. I want you to get your Bible out if you have one, if you've got an app, whatever you got. Uh, open up to the book of Luke. Chapter 2, we're going to be wrapping up our series uh, on Advent, which Advent, remember, is coming. And we're talking about Christmas Advent, which is the coming of Jesus into this world as a baby boy. And so today we're going to wrap that up. And then I also do want to point you to uh, Christmas Eve. We've got three services. The reason why we're having three services is because we want to invite our neighbors and friends. Uh, most of the year, a lot of people would say, no, thank you on Sunday morning. But uh, this time of year, in God's grace, he's given us a season where people are a little bit more receptive to the things of God. And on a Christmas Eve service, what better way to invite a friend or a family member to hear truth and to experience the presence of God. So I would encourage you to invite somebody uh, to come with you on Christmas Eve service. Um, we're going to be in Luke 2. Uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 7, speaking of the birth of Jesus. And she gave birth, that's Mary, to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So, so Jesus in this story has just been birthed and, and is now there with his mother and with Joseph. And, and now we're going to see a little bit right after that what has taken places in the shepherds and, and why were they called and what did the angel say to him. So look at verse 8. And in the same region where Jesus was born, there were shepherds out on the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear, as you and I probably would too. You're minding your own business out in the middle of the dark, shepherding your, your sheep. And then all of a sudden, boom, light from heaven shines all around you. You would have been filled, filled with fear too. It says they were filled with fear, but the angel said to them, Fear not. Why not? For behold, I, I bring you good news of great joy. If you've got a pen in your Bibles in your hand, just underline good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Such amazing. That's where we're going to go today. And then verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who's, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so we get a little insight into the birth of Jesus. Jesus is born, and then we get a snapshot of the shepherds that are out minding their own business, these blue-collar workers, and an angel shows up, and he gives them some good news of, of great joy. Now, now what is joy? Now, what, what is joy? Joy could be described a lot of ways, but, but joy is a, a, a deep, raw emotion that is response to something. It's way deeper than just happiness. It's way down deep. It's an exhilaration. It's anticipation. It is excitement. Joy comes from a deep place, and it is an emotion. It is a response. And so it says there is great joy. So if you're taking notes, point number one is that great joy comes from fulfilled hope. Great joy comes from fulfilled hope. Now, I think many of us have experienced some of this before. Maybe you were in high school and you were at your senior year, which I know some of you in this room are close to your senior year. Uh, many of us have hopes to go get a job. Maybe some of us have hopes to become missionaries. But, but many of us have hopes in high school to go to college and to get accepted into a college. Uh, you know, you're in Texas, so for some reason you want to get into usually uh, UT or A&M, maybe Baylor. You know, who, who knows if you're that side. Uh, but there are some different things. 
And so there is some hope that you would get accepted, right? Has anybody ever been there? I got some hope. And so when that letter comes in the mail and you open it up and it says your name and there is an acceptance stamp on that, there is hope fulfilled and that brings great joy because your hope was fulfilled or maybe you've been longing to have a significant other and you've been preparing and you've been waiting and then you meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright and you get down on your knee and you slip a ring on it because you listened to a song one time that said that. <laughs> and, uh, and then she says, yes. Hope, <laughs> will she say yes? Then fulfilled hope that leads to great joy. Any, anybody else ever experienced hope fulfilled that brings joy? You know, when, when I was born uh, into uh, this world, uh, I was born into a culture uh, that there is only one team you root for in college football, and uh, that is the Ohio State football family. And so when I was born into that, uh, as any child does in Ohio, there is this hope, this elusive hope that someday you would put on God's colors of scarlet and gray, <laughs> and, and you would step out onto the horseshoe, and you would play for the Ohio State football team. Every kid in Ohio, there's no options. There's no two UT and A&M. You know, there, there's no options. You got the Browns or the Bengals. And so you're like, oh, man, like, that's not going to work for me. I'm going to cheer for the Buckeyes because a real football team in the middle of Ohio uh, you've heard the joke, why doesn't Ohio State or why doesn't an NFL team go to Columbus? Because then Cleveland, Cincinnati would want one too. It's a great, a great truth uh, in Ohio. Ouch. But I grew up a Buckeye fan, and so my hope was I would go and I would play football there, but I chose not to play football out of high school. I had some options to go to some smaller schools and some smaller Division I schools, but I chose, man, I'm just going to focus on engineering. And so I went to school, and I focused on engineering. No distractions, just football only. But I missed it. And so... Um, I tried out, and the last thing after the tryout, the coach said he brought everybody, all the 100 guys together, and they said, uh, hey, in a couple days, there's going to be um, a paper posted on this one specific door, and it's going to tell everybody who made the team, your name's going to be on it if you made the team. Don't talk to us if your name's on it because you didn't make the team, okay? And so we left, and I was a little anxious, as you would be. My, my stomach was kind of knots for a couple days. So my current wife, my only wife I've ever had, uh, she was my, she was my, verify, clarify that, we are just to be clear, my only wife of my youth and of today, uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, and, uh, and she rode with me. But as any true man, when you've got to be putting your manhood on the line and finding out, like, am I good enough or not, guess where I told her? I said, babe, you stay in the car. Like, I'll be, I got this. Like, I, I'm going to go find out for myself. And so she stayed in her little Ford Escort, and I got out and walked in. And not in, I walked down the sidewalk and took a 90, and there was this long sidewalk that went to two glass doors, and my stomach's in knots. And I begin to walk down. And I get a little closer, and I can see that there was this paper that was on the door. And I got a little closer, and my stomach is just, oh, like excitement. But like, what if it doesn't work out? What if I wasn't good enough? And so I get up there, and I read the top, and it says, the, the following individuals have made the football family. See this coach and get your equipment on this date. And there were three names out of 100 people that made the team. And I read the first name, and then I got to the second name, D E. R-E-K, wait, wait, that's me, um, Harden, Derek Harden, joy, <laughs> I, I just read my name, it says, I am part of the football family, I had a hope since childhood, and now this hope had been fulfilled, and so there was joy, overflowing joy, that I got to be part of this football family that I had looked forward to and hoped for for years, 
And so I left that note. I made sure, man, I read, I read, read it again. Derek Hart, full name, Derek Hart. It's me. Okay, that's me. I made the team. And so then I walked to my car, and my girlfriend, my current wife, is, was sitting there. And, uh, and she was excited, you know, hopeful, but like, what if he didn't make it? So I don't want to be too hopeful. And so I get in the car, and, you know, like any guy, I'm going to be, I completely just hung my head. And she, 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 her hope, excitement turned to um, compassion. And oh my goodness. And she said, Derek, I'm so sorry. What, what happened? And I looked down and I said, oh my goodness. I made the team. Woo! And I blew up and exploded, exploded in my car. And she started crying and excited. And we started calling our family. Why? Some of your earbuds, let them get back here. Why? Because I had a hope. These guys back here laughing because they know what that's like. I had a hope, and that hope was fulfilled. And there was joy, raw emotion inside. And I think what we, what we need to look at in this story, the reason why it was good news of great hope, because it was just that. It was fulfilled hope. Good news of great joy. And what was the good news? A Savior had come. Now, we got to remember these, these shepherd boys, these Jewish people, they, they, they were raised, just like I was raised, scarlet and gray. They were raised Jewish boys who had a hope. And their hope was that one day in the future a Messiah would come. A Savior would come. That, that Messiah would restore. That he would bring life. That he would bring freedom. And so from little on, they had this hope, and, and we know this hope was in them because Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, uh, we know they knew these scriptures. They had these scriptures. They would have taught their kids these scriptures. And so, uh, for instance, Isaiah seven fourteen, which we read last week, it says Isaiah was prophesying about the coming Messiah. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, Isaiah was speaking of something to come. He was saying that there's a hope in the future. There's going to be hope for our Jewish culture. And then chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah continues to talk about the Messiah that's coming, the hope of the world. He says, for us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end, no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdoms to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see, this is a future tense. These young Jewish boys, they were raised with this thing. In the future, there will be a Messiah. In the future, there will be a Savior. And he's going to change everything. And so their hope was in this Messiah coming. And then we get to chapter 2 of Luke. The baby is born. The angel comes and says, hey, I bring you good news of great joy because the great joy was going to be fulfilled hope. There's a Savior, the Christ. He's come into the world. Go and see him. If you don't believe me, go see him. He's wrapped in swaddled clothes. And the shepherds, they go and they see him. And what was that? Hope fulfilled, which led to great joy. So this Christmas season, what hope do you have? What longings do you have in your heart where you're asking God, God, I'm asking you, will you fulfill this hope in my life? And I think a better question as we step into this Christmas week, which it's, by the way, guys, like you have a couple days to shop. It's not very long away. As we step into this Christmas week, what if we ask the question, 
what has God already fulfilled in my life? What hope has he already fulfilled? I think that's a question we should meditate on this week in your quiet time. Write that down in your notes if you're taking notes. What hope has God already fulfilled in my life? And does that matter today if it's in the past tense? The shepherds, they had great joy from this good news because it was a fulfilled hope. What was going to happen was now happening in their presence. And it brought great joy. And point number two is great joy often comes from great void. Great joy often comes from great void. You see, fulfilled hopes, they always bring joy. Every fulfilled hope, if I've got a hope and it's fulfilled, it brings joy. But joy tends to grow exponentially when we struggle through difficulty, when we have to sacrifice, or if we have to wait. Now, I talked about children before. Um, you know, my wife and I, we were in college. We were dirt poor. Um, we got married in college, and uh, a year and a half after we got married, after my sophomore year, I had three years left, we found out that my wife was pregnant. Now, we weren't planning to have a baby, but we hadn't figured out how that worked yet, so we got a baby in our house, and there was great joy, right? Because I had always hoped to be a dad, my wife always hoped to be a, a, a mama, and so there was great joy when we found out that my wife was pregnant, and if you've experienced that, you would know there, there's joy there. And so we had this little bundle of joy, and I loved them. But, but then a few years later, we, we actually planned our next baby, and we said, we want to have this baby, and this is when we want to have it. And so we, um, we, we wanted to have this baby. And so uh, she conceived, and once again, there was great joy. Um, but a little bit after that, um, she miscarried the first time. And, and I know many of you have had that. I get it's hard. It's so hard. I'm sorry. And, uh, and we were broken we were frustrated, we were confused, we went through this season of darkness, kind of void, where we felt distant from God, and we had a lot of questions, more questions than answers, and because of the miscarriage, we had to wait a while, and there was, you know, pain in the waiting, there's frustration in the waiting, then as the waiting, and then finally when she got to the point where she could conceive again, and she did conceive, guess what, there was even greater joy. Now, now, did we love that child any more or any less than our first one? Not at all. But because of the path to that fulfilled hope, there was greater joy experienced by my wife and I because we had to wait. We, we went through a hard season. We had pain. And so those things, they tend to increase our, our joy. Now, when I played football and I, when I walked up and found my name on it, the backstory is a year before that, I had also tried out. And I took that same path, that same feeling in my stomach, that same anticipation, and I turned the corner to walk down that very same sidewalk a year before. And as I got closer, I had those feelings in my stomach, and I saw the paper, and it said the exact same thing. The following individuals made the football team. And then it was a blank piece of paper. Not one name was on it. See, see the year before, I, I was told no. And, and so for a year, I had to wait for any opportunity to have my hope fulfilled. I had to sacrifice some good things, college life, because I wanted to work out, because I wanted to eat right, because I wanted to be the fastest, strongest, and jump the highest that I could in a year. And so I had to sacrifice a lot. I went through a lot of, of putting off things, and I had to wait a year. I had to watch them play an entire season of football from the next to highest uh, um, row in the horseshoe. Terrible seats. But, but that made me even that much more desire that hope. And so because of that, honestly, if I would have made it that first year, there would have been joy because it was a hope fulfilled, right? You tracking with me? But because there was a year of waiting, there was a year of anticipation, there was a year of sacrifice, all of those things increased my hope, increased my joy when I actually got to experience it. 
And I think some of you have been there too. You've wanted a child, and so it didn't come for a while, and then you got pregnant. Maybe even this people up here, I don't know their story, but they said this was a miracle child. Maybe they had tried and tried and tried, and finally that baby's there. There is even greater joy when it comes after a season of pain. There's even greater joy when we have to wait, when we have to sacrifice, when we have to be present, and there's a void. And as I was preparing this week, um, I happened upon uh, um, some people that I believe know this more than, honestly, me. And that's our military families. You see, when you send out a spouse or a daughter or son, you send them out around the world and they are in the midst of battle. And so what is that? That's a void in your life. It's a struggle. It's anxiety. It's tons of sacrifice, not just for the man or woman that's in uh, serving around the world, but also for the family. They give up a lot. And there's a lot of desire and, and hope to be re- reunited. And so I, I brought a video just so we can see a good snapshot of what true joy looks like on the hills of a, of a void. So watch this video. Isn't that a beautiful picture of joy? 
Now let's just clap for our military and their family. Everybody's here, veterans, thank you. But, but you see, like, they would have been happy every day when daddy came home, right? It fulfilled hope. But, but because of the, the void, because of the sacrifice, uh, because of the, 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 the struggle that was involved, when they finally received what they hoped for, there was even that much more joy, right? It's a beautiful picture. I cried like a baby in the cafe as I was watching this week. Um, but, but I say all that because, because we've got to recognize that's really what was happening when Jesus came. You see, we so easily uh, look at our scriptures, and, and if we turn to, and you don't have to turn there, I'm going to show you, Malachi, which is the uh, last prophet in the Old Testament. So, so when Jesus was born, the Jews were operating off of this. And the last man to speak on behalf of God by the Spirit of God working through him was Malachi. And Malachi prophesied that, that there would be a day when a man would come with the spirit of Elijah and that he would turn fathers back to their children and children back to their fathers. So, so this was the word. And so it's easy for us because we just turn one page, two page, and we get to the New Testament, Jesus come to earth. But, but what we don't realize is that these two pages, they represent um, 400 years of oppression by various militaries. And when Jesus was born into this Jewish culture, the Roman um, government was oppressing them. That's why in Luke chapter 2, 1, you see Caesar Augustus sent out a decree, and everybody had to follow it because they were under the authority of a foreign government. And so this 400 years between Malachi and the New Testament, it was filled with great oppression. It was filled with struggle, with lack of freedom, with bondage. But also this 400 years, these two pages, it represents silence. See, Malachi, he spoke on behalf of God, but for 400 years, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they were in a season where God's voice was void. It wasn't there. And so we see that that the story is that after this struggle, after this great darkness, that that's when Jesus came. That it was in the midst of great spiritual darkness in the midst of God's void, of his voice. It was in the struggle in some of the darkest days of the Jewish people that Christ was born. Great joy was born on the hills of great void. The light of the world was born into the darkness. And this matters to us today, and it should stir our faith. That means that no matter how dark your world is, no matter how many things you have going wrong, no matter how much bondage you feel that you're in, no matter how you have run from God in the past, this is what you need to hear today. Jesus' birth offers great hope because he came when we were at our worst. The scriptures say that he died for us when we were yet sinners. At our very worst, God loved us. Light in the midst of darkness, joy in the midst of struggle, relationship in the midst of feelings of abandonment. And honestly, some of us in this room today, we are there today. You're in what some call the dark night of the soul. That you've been praying and you feel like, man, my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. I've been running after God and yet I haven't heard from him. And this should stir your faith. This story of Jesus, because he stepped into the light of the world, stepped into darkness. The voice of God stepped into a voiceless age. And that should bring all of us hope, no matter where you're at today, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter how far you feel from God. 
God's MO is that he steps in when we least expect him to. In the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of chaos, God finds the place and he brings life. That's what we see in Jesus. So be encouraged if that's you today, that there's not one of us that are out of God's hand. There's not one of us that cannot receive what God came to give us. Even in the midst of a challenging season where you feel so far from God, listen, God is right with you, even if you can't experience it today or you don't realize it today. The last point that I want us to look at is, is in Luke chapter 210. The last point is that great joy is for all people. All people. That's what Luke chapter 210 says. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So we see this message of Jesus, this message of the good news that the Savior has come. It was not just for a few It was not just for the Jew, although at the time it was the Jew first. It would eventually be for all, including the Gentiles, which is you and me. It was for all people. None are excluded. He came for all. This good news of great joy that was for all people was that Jesus had come. God's promise was kept. And now the hope of the world was fulfilled in Jesus. And if you're a believer today, we receive this joy when we receive the hope of Jesus as our Savior. When he forgave us of our sins and he gave us his righteousness, we received the good news that came with great joy. Now, now um, it's, it's easy to think about the joy you had when you first came to Christ, right? When you first recognized that you were a sinner and that you were in need of God and yet he still loves you and he offered a way through his death and blood and, and crucifixion that he loved you that much that he died for you. When you recognized that, when the Spirit opened your eyes to that truth, there was great joy. In those moments you... Um, You couldn't forget his faithfulness. In those moments, his grace was great. His love was limitless. But if you're like me, sometimes the joy of my salvation wanes and gets undermined by the distractions of this world, the misery that's happening all around me, the everyday stuff. Anybody else experience that? That's why the great song song, uh, and great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel thee. Prone to leave the God I love. You see, we're easily distracted, so easily distracted. We're seduced away from the love of God, and we end up tracking with the masses as they run after the ways of the world. And so this morning, what do we do? I mean, we can hear this all day, and I could preach at you all day and say, hey, God brought joy. Be joyful. And we could just go home, and we could all feel bad about ourselves and beat ourselves up. But, But what can we do today in this season and then as the Christmas season ends that I can remain in the joy of my salvation? What's something that we can do? I think the scripture makes it clear, but one thing that I did when I was in college and I ended up making the football team, I also, before I've even tried out, I said, I'm going to do everything I can to prepare myself to give myself the best opportunity to succeed and make this team. And so uh, one quarter I signed up for class and it was just not any class. It was coaching football 101. Amazing class. It met Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7.30 in the morning. If you're a college kid, some of the college kids, 7.30 in the morning, that's like, who's even awake at that time? Are there people alive at 7.30 in the morning? But I said, I want to be part of the football family, so I want to go because the coaches, the assistant coaches, the GAs, they all taught this class and said, I I want to be in their midst. I want to learn from them, and I want them to know who I am so that when I walk onto the team, they'll, they'll remember me. And so I showed up every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and at the end of the course, we had an opportunity to go to one practice. And that may be like, that's not a big deal. Well, in college, like, you have rivals. And that team up north that I'm not even going to say their name, 
uh, we didn't want anybody cheating and watching our practice, and so our practices were locked down. We had high fences like you'd have for deer in Texas, but like they were covered and nobody could see in. It was completely locked down. So for me to get to a good old practice was like an act of God. It was awesome. And so I go to practice, and I look at this position. I'm taking notes about this coach, what he said, and then I go to another position and watch them, and then I watch the team practice, and I'm taking notes. And when I got there, though, I, I got a, um, a sticker, and it says, The Ohio State Football Family Welcomes, and then they wrote my name, Derek Harden. And it was a moment that I'll never forget because I realized that my hope was not just to be a spectator, but my hope was to be a participant. And that day, I was a visitor. I didn't want to be a visitor. I wanted to be part of the football family. And so I, I kept my name tag. And, and, and I kept it, and I put it in my Bible. And after all these years, uh, this is still it. You can see it's kind of ripped up. It says, Ohio State football welcomes Derek Harden. And you say, well, that's kind of weird, Derek. Like, well, why would you do this? Well, here's, here's the thing. When I made the team, I, I never wanted to forget where I came from. I never wanted to take it for granted. I never wanted to get lazy, and as things got difficult and things got challenging, I didn't want to just give in. I wanted to go back to this and say, man, there was a time when I was an outsider. There was a time when I wasn't part of the football family, and this humbled me, and it brought great joy to me, and so it kept the fire fresh in my life. And so even when I began to preach in Ohio for the first time, and I preached out of this Bible, it brings back great memories just holding it, uh, I would have this, and every Sunday I would look at that to remember, Derek, it's by God's grace that you've been saved. Derek, Derek you were once an outsider, and, but by God's grace you're now an insider. You're part of the family of God. You're a son of God. And so preach like that. Preach like you're a son. And so I still today I remember it often, and I pull it out and look at it. I remember back to who I was so that I could find joy in who I became. And I think that is a part, a secret that we see in the scriptures of how do we maintain joy, because joy is fleeting for many of us. How do we maintain this joy that is spoken about by the angel? I bring you good news with great joy. How do we do it? I want you to turn to one last passage in your Bible, and then we're going to get you guys to the Texans game. Um, Revelations chapter 2. Remember, this revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. We can make it a lot more than that, but, but at, the, at its core... Just like every book of the Bible, it's a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And so this is John. He's capturing what's happening in this vision. And Jesus is speaking. And Jesus specifically in chapter 2 is first speaking to the church of Ephesus. And he's telling them some things that he's seen. In chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus speaks, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. And so Jesus starts out by saying, man, guys, you are doing some things really well. I, I notice. I notice what you're doing, and, and it's good. But, but then he gets to a word and that oftentimes we don't want to hear Jesus say in verse 4, but he, he says, but. So you're doing all these good things, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So so they failed to walk in the reality that they had been loved by God and saved by God. They had forgot about that. They were doing all the actions of godly people, yet they had fallen away from the love of God. And so he tells them something really important. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So two words that I see here. Number one, remember. He said, hey, remember where you fell. Remember you were walking with God? 
Remember that? You were loving God. You were in love with God. It was your first love, and you were walking in that. And then at some point, you deviated from that, and you chose to follow your own path, and you left. Not left the kingdom, but you left God's way. And he says, remember back to that. Remember where you fell into sin. Remember where you started to do things that were not of God. And why did he want him to remember that? Because every sin action is preceded by a thought of God that is wrong. Every sin, everything you could physically do, mentally do, it all draws back to a distorted view of who God is and who I am. And so I function out of that distorted view. Every sin. And so he says, go back to where you first fell. And so he says, remember. Remember what you began to believe. And so for us today, as we say, how do I keep this joy alive? How do I retain this joy that was given to me by God? I would say first is remember. Remember who you were before Jesus. Remember the state that you were in before Jesus. Remember that before you received the gift of Jesus, his salvation, you were separated by God. That the scriptures say that you were an enemy of God, that you were known as a sinner, and that your destination was death, eternal separation from God. This was who you were. Every one of us. Now, that's not Derek's words, so I hate to offend you. That's God's words. This is who we all are when we're born, and until we know Jesus and make him Lord of our life and come under his authority, this is who you are. And so all of us that have come into the kingdom, this is who we were. And so the reason why this is important, we are to remember who we were, to find joy in who we are in Christ. I'm going to raise that, I'll read that again because I, I want you to write this down. This is important. We need to remember who you were to find joy in who you are in Christ. See, once we realize, man, that's who I was I was all these things. And then I recognized, but Jesus did something in my life. He saved me. He forgave me. He made me new. That should bring great joy as I remember who I was, but that's not who I am. Amen? And so that stirs up our joy because we remember that I was once lost. I was once on the outside just like I was at practice. I was on the outside looking in, wanting to be in. But then I was brought into the family. And so when I opened that up, I remember, man, there was a day that I was on the outside, but now I'm on the inside. And church, we need to wake up to that truth. If that doesn't get you excited, then you and the Lord should probably get together and have a real heart-to-heart conversation. You were once an outcast, an enemy of God, destined for death. But Jesus, but Jesus, and what did Jesus do in your life? What did he do when you said yes? Here's the reality of what he did. Jesus, you no longer were, but who you are. He made you one with God. But just think about that, that truth, that that you now have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. You are his temple. No longer is he just anointing you for a season and it can lift off. No, he's placed his Holy Spirit in you as a seal. You are one with God. You're no longer uh, separated from God. You're one with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. Jesus says, you are now my friend. You were once a sinner, but then we were given the righteousness of God. Not that you're perfect. Nobody says they're perfect. No Pastor Curtis, no Pastor Derek, no Pastor Robbie, especially Pastor Robbie's not perfect. He's close. He's close, though. None of us are perfect, but what's this mean? It means that Christ's righteousness, he had no sin in his life. When he died on the cross, he took away your sins, but he didn't leave a void there. He replaced your sinfulness with his righteousness. He gave you his righteousness. That's why when God sees you from heaven, if you're in the kingdom, he doesn't see you as a sinner. He meant what he said, when your sins are tossed far as the east is from the west. He meant that. When he sees you, he sees Jesus' blood over you. He sees Jesus' righteousness. He says, that, that's my son. 
And the sanctification process that he has us walking on, it's us becoming in reality who we already are in Christ. And so he's made this, and no longer is your destination death. It's eternal life. And this reality of remembering who I was will cause me to get to a point where I repent. And that word was abused a lot of times, I think. We, we use that word, and it's like a negative kind of, but this is what repent means. It means to align with God. I'm going to align my mind, and I'm going to believe the way that God believes, and that's going to influence the way I act. That's what repentance is. It's not just i got to stop this and do this. No, it's I've got to align with God. He says this about me. I'm going to believe him, and I'm going to live out of that. That's what repentance is. So repentance means I'm not going to believe this and live like this. I'm going to believe what God has said, and I'm going to live like it. And the joy that we have today is he came for all people. That means everyone can walk in this truth. But just like the shepherds, we have to receive. We have to receive. And then today, if your joy is lacking, you remember, man, who were you before Jesus? And that should motivate you to say, wow, that's right. That grace that he gave me, it is great. That forgiveness, it's fantastic. And that should stir some holy joy in us. And the prayer that I've been praying over this service and this church this week is from Romans 5, 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope, I mean, that could preach this right. May the God of hope. Fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Listen, my prayer for you this week is that you would remember who you were in order to find joy in who you are in Christ. He came at the darkest hour. He came when there was void, when there was no voice. He stepped in. I'm praying that he would do the same this week for you. That you acknowledge what he did and what he's going to do, that someday he's going to return. Our hope is not just the Messiah's coming. Our hope is the Messiah came but yeah, he's coming again. He's going to call us up to be with him forever. Amen. Amen. Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have our prayer ministry team, and we're going to worship one last song. But there are really three things that I felt heavy to pray for. Number one, uh, we recognize here at Bayou City Fellowship that the holidays are really hard for some of us. Some of us have great loss. Some of us maybe have some family that are across the world. Uh, maybe your family dynamic is not healthy right now, and so there's a lot of potential pain there. And so if the holidays are hard for you, we get that, and, and we would just say, hey, why don't you humble yourself and step out in faith, and you receive some prayer of encouragement, that God will meet you where you're at, and that he would provide for you in that. Number two, if, if you're in a season of kind of that darkness and that void where you're like, I haven't heard from God, I feel distant from God, as, as Thomas Merton, I believe, said, the dark night of the soul, if you're there today and you feel hopeless, then you come forward, and we're going to pray faith over you, pray for revelation that God would fulfill the hopes that you have in your heart. And so if that's you, you come forward. And then lastly, this time of year I get a lot of prayer requests for people with this church and other churches and friends and family. Uh, hey, would you pray for my family? I'm going to go see Mr. Uncle, you fill in the blank, and I'm not really looking forward to that. There's a lot of family issues. There's a lot of family junk, and I've got to be with all these people that I really don't actually like, but they're my family, so I've got to love them. And so if that's you today, if you've got some potential conflicts that are going to happen this week as you're meeting with family, what if you ask the Lord to anoint you to not just be a sounding gong, but for you to be a peacemaker instead of just a peacekeeper? What if you initiated God's love? What if you were actively listening to what God's saying and you followed with what he was doing at your, at your family gathering? So if you've got a family gathering and you want some prayer over, we're going to pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit on you, that he would use you to demonstrate the kingdom even in your Christmas parties. So while we stand, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one last song, and I want you to come and receive prayer from the prayer team that loves to pray. Father, I thank you so much that you loved us, 
that, that you sent your son Jesus to this earth to provide a way for us to eternal life. Lord, I thank you for the hope that you've given us, the fulfillment of the hope that you came, that you are no longer a distant God, but Emmanuel came, that you paid the sacrifice we couldn't pay, that we could be in relationship with you. So Lord, would you restore joy in our church family where there's pain and where there's brokenness? Would you speak life? Would you speak life and hope? Bring life. Stir us up this week as we head into Christmas that we would be a people of genuine joy, not just uh, projections of joy. May we be honest. May we remember who we were so that we can find joy in who we are in you. In Jesus' name.